Welcome to Strategy Lab, where we talk to some of the brightest minds behind some of the biggest stories in business and politics. I'm your host, C.R. Wooters, and I'm joined by my business partner, Adam Weiss. How are you, buddy? I am uh, just a little bit concerned about the state of the world in general, but I'm pretty excited about this podcast. Okay, so who do we have on the show today? We are talking about the future of the travel industry with Nick Pappas, the Director of Global Corporate and Policy Communications for Airbnb. Uh, for the past seven years, Nick's been helping Airbnb tell their story. And before that, Nick worked in a senior level uh, capacity in the Obama White House and at HHS. Okay, so uh, let's jump into to Nick Pappas, but let me give you one little caveat. Uh, we're doing this over Zoom, as everybody is in the pandemic, and uh, Nick comes in and out a little bit at the beginning. Uh, just play through it. Uh, we'll try to make it sound as good as we can. Okay, here we go. Nick Pappas. Nick Pappas, welcome to Strategy Lab, pal. Thank you for having me. It's great to be. All right, so we're obviously going to talk about the travel industry. Let's start with, um, you know, let's start with kind of where we are now. And as we're recording this, we're kind of open. We're kind of not. Um, I know that there's some folks who are, some parts of the country are seeing some hot spots come up. Um, what's your sense of kind of current state of affairs in the first week of July? I think that it is very clear that everyone in the travel industry is an underdog right now. Um, the coronavirus pandemic has hit everyone in travel and hospitality incredibly hard. Um, and there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty out there. Um, I think anyone who tells you that they know exactly what is going to happen and when is, uh, is probably not worth listening to. Um, so there's a lot that we simply do not know. All that said, there are some fundamentals out there that I think have made themselves apparent um, that are reasons for some cautious optimism. The first is if you've been stuck in your house, like so many of us have, like I know I have, um, you want to get out of your house. Um, and that is a trend that we're definitely seeing. Um, <laughs> people want to travel. I mean, look, travel is not something um, that is the, – the, the desire to travel is something that has been around for a long time and it's not going to go away. It's fundamental to human nature. There's definitely a concern about cross-border travel um, and getting on airplanes. Um, so we're seeing a lot of domestic travel. We're seeing a lot of nearby travel. The percentages of trips that people are taking um, on Airbnb uh, that are close to their home within 50 miles, 100 miles, 200 miles, uh, has increased pretty significantly. Uh, so I think you're going to see a lot of road trips this summer. People who just jump, sorry to interrupt you, but th these are just people who jump in a car and say, we're going to drive to a lake, mountain, someplace that's not here but we're not going to drive past, you know, to fill up the tank 20 times to get there. Yeah, it's summertime. I want to go to the beach. It's summertime. I want to go to the mountains. Uh, I want to go, you know, get out of where I've been and see something new and get outdoors um, and, you know, just try and try and break up a little bit of the cabin fever uh, that I've got. So, you know, so we're seeing a lot of that, um, which is a good sign. I mean, look, obviously we have encouraged everyone traveling responsibly. They're following the guidance from local officials. Um, that remains incredibly important uh, and something that people uh, should be should be vigilant about. But uh, we definitely see that people want to get out, uh, and so that is you know hope that has been uh, a positive sign uh, that that uh, we've enjoyed uh, being able to look at. So let's go back just a little bit because you've been at Airbnb for a while, like seven years. Seven or something, years, right? yeah. Um, what's it, it's kind of changed an awful lot since you've been there. What's the you know, what are your biggest takeaways and kind of big changes since you've come along? I mean, the company itself 
I mean, I think even the idea of renting a room in someone else's house was like kind of crazy seven years ago. It was very interesting. There were, um, when I left the White House to go to Airbnb, there were people who thought I was like starting my own air, um, bed and breakfast. Um, <laughs> there, I met with one. Yeah, I know. It's crazy, right? Um, I have not, uh, I've not been a host, uh, a home host. I've hosted an Airbnb experience before, but not, uh, I don't think anyone wants to say with my family and two small children. I think that would be the opposite of a relaxing vacation. Um, but to get back to your question, um, I remember looking for some space to sublease in Washington and meeting with a Democratic political consultant who shall remain nameless, um, who said like, oh, Airbnb, do you guys do the back end on our phones? And I was like, no, that is not what we do. And I then began to think, maybe this is not the best idea that I've ever had. Um, but it proved to be an idea you know, that worked. The growth has been, um, you're absolutely right, it's been, it's been incredible. Um, and it's been something to see. I think it's interesting that, you know, the idea of renting a house and staying in someone's home is not actually a new idea. It is a way that people have been traveling, uh, in this country and around the world for a long time. What is new is making it easy for people to do that and harnessing the power of technology, um, to create the kind of online marketplace that we've created and giving people some of the services and the support and the tools to make them feel comfortable hosting and to make them feel comfortable uh, using our platform as guests. Um, so I think that has been, uh, it's been incredible to watch, um, and incredible to have a you know small role in, in some of the success. Um, obviously 2020 has not, uh, gone entirely according to plan, but I think that's true for all of us, no matter what industry you happen to be in. Um, but yeah, it's, so, for example, if you started a small public affairs firm, just just you know, just pick one thing totally. Yeah, random. totally, totally. No, it seems like a great time to get that going. You guys really just yeah. nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, look, I think that one of the things that you know, crisis, this crisis is an opportunity. I think for um, lots of you know people and businesses and industries to sort of focus on. Um, you know, what makes sense for their business, what makes sense for, you know, what they want to pursue. Um, it, it is obviously an incredible challenge for, you know, millions of people um, and a terrible thing that, that we all wish uh, didn't happen. I think that for our part, we're trying to make sure um, that we can both sort of weather this storm uh, and come out stronger. And hopefully we'll use this as an opportunity. Uh, and I think we already are so to sort of refocus um, and to continue to you know go back to our roots and continue to build on what has made our company strong. Uh, that's been something that our leadership has talked a lot about, both publicly and uh, and with you know with me and my colleagues, um, and it's something that, we, that we're really focused on. So uh, let's go a little deeper dive into the pandemic stuff, which is not surprising. I want to ask you a bunch about that. You know, I, I think for me, I'm watching TV, I'm watching the NBA game, and the NBA suspends the season and. 10 seconds later, Tom Hanks has coronavirus. And it feels like that was like the day the planet realized the coronavirus. That happened. was like the 90 um, minutes the planet realized the coronavirus happened. It was, it was crazy, insane, right? It was I like, was you know, on my couch and, and I could not look away. Uh, it was a shocking few moments of time. So take us inside. For me, it was about Rita Wilson. I mean, it was, it was Tom Hanks was important, but for me, it was really Rita Wilson, just because she's produced so much great work and and her music. Uh, but you know, it's, I understand for other people, it was Tom Hanks. Um, so take us inside that. You know, you're sitting on your couch, or the same way we are, and you're like, "Holy crap! What's the 
give us a little view of what, what kind of happens then um, in Airbnb world. So we already had some sense of what was coming. I don't think any, I, I would not say that we had nearly um, the sense of, of the shock to the system that would occur kind of, you know, at that moment and after, but we do, we have a relatively robust business in China. Um, so we had seen some of this a little earlier than others um, because of our business there. Um, and so I think there was, it was definitely something that we were thinking about and look, you know, when you're a travel company and you're starting to see things that you know, are potentially restricting travel or just, be, or just dissuading people from traveling, um, you're going to pay attention to that pretty quick. I think that that moment that you're talking about was, um, was a real wake up call for everyone. Um, and, and it certainly brought everything to the fore. Um, and made it very clear that this was going to be both a short-term crisis that we were going to need to deal with, um, but also going to have long-term effects. Um, you know, this is this crisis is undoubtedly going to change a number of things about you know life, both here in the United States and around the world. I don't think we know what all those long-term changes are going to be, but it. I think that moment was really a time when a lot of people started thinking about how this was not merely going to be a short-term thing. This was going to be something that we had to, uh, that was going to impact life for, for quite some time. Um, and you started to get your head around the, the fact that it wasn't just going to be like one week in your house making bread. Um, this was going to be right. something that was going to take a lot of time um, and, and energy to sort of fight through. And it was going to change the way we live. So thinking, you mentioned the kind of the global footprint of Airbnb and that giving you a little bit of lead time on what was happening, but can you talk through kind of what happened internally, how you think about messaging, you know, knowing that you had kind of the kind of early inkling without knowing the scale of it, um, you know, working with your leadership, thinking through kind of the business and the communications implications of, of how you made decisions and what those decisions, how they might ripple um, both you know, in the broader industry and in the business, uh, and, you know, kind of in the broader consciousness of Americans as they move around the country and sure. the world. Uh, I mean, so one of the interesting things about our business is that we are a two-sided marketplace. So we have hosts who offer their homes, uh, and we have guests who are making reservations and, and traveling. Um, you have employees that you have to, uh, think about as stakeholders and their safety. Um, you have, you know, investors and shareholders, um, and you have, to, you have to think about them as well. You have communities. Um, so when we are making any decision, we try and think about all of those stakeholders. Um, and this was certainly no different. Um, ultimately, when we were in the midst of making these decisions, we really prioritized focusing on public health um, and ensuring that we were you know, doing everything that we could to you know, protect our, you know, our fellow colleagues um, and also communicate with um, our host community and our guest community about what we were doing. I think that we have been um, pretty transparent and upfront that we could have done a better job communicating some of our earlier decisions to our hosts um, who expressed uh, concerns about some cancellation policies that we uh, implemented that had an impact on them. Um, and I think we learned from that moment uh, and have tried to continue to sort of reach out to and, and communicate with our hosts about the decisions that we've made and why we've made them. Um, and I think that the, the lesson for people who may be listening to, uh, to this podcast is to try and explain um, your rationale and be as transparent as possible and also be clear about your principles um, and the principles that led you to make those decisions. Uh, I think so many times when, um, be it a corporate or a politician or whoever it may be announces, you know, their position or their decision on something, um, you know, people, if people disagree with that decision, they, they will be angry. Um, I think no matter what, 
but I think that you you win yourself a lot of favors and understanding um, and goodwill if you can take a step back and describe to people the thought process that led you to the decision. Describe the principles that you um, that you considered when you were making. Uh, those kind those kinds of decisions, uh, and I think that's really important. And I think that's something that, to our CEO's credit, um, he does a lot, um, which is that he is really good both internally and externally uh, about clarifying the principles that he uses to make big decisions in big moments. Um, and I think that that is, um, I think that's really important because even if you don't necessarily agree with the final decision that is made, I think people want to know how you got there. They want to know the road you took to get to the destination. Um, and uh, if you can do that, I think it, uh, it gives people uh, some understanding of you know, who you are and why you, made, why you made the decision you did. Can you talk a little bit about that host relationship, the host company relationship, right? It's obviously a little bit mutually beneficial. I'll say what I know, which is you know probably not a, not a lot, which is you guys provide them a platform. They can say, hey, rent my bedroom or my house or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys can work together, but you know, to, to vet folks, uh, figure out how to pay money to each other and all that kind sure. of stuff. When we get down to specifics now of like, how can you assure guests that they're staying in a host's house who's like cleaning the joint and like making sure that, you know, cause like there's, it, there's something different between like um, being the middleman. And I, I, I know it's more than that, but just being the middleman of, of connecting people who want to stay someplace with people who, who, who are staying someplace or who have a place to rent. Um, and also making some assurances. Now there's health assurances sure. now that probably weren't as big of a deal six months sure. ago. Um, it's a great question. And it's something that we've actually spent a lot of time talking about. So if Airbnb listings weren't clean and safe, Airbnb wouldn't do very well. So we already have a really good track record on providing clean, safe places for people to stay. So 94% of the reviews that have been left on Airbnb um, gave a four or five-star rating for cleanliness, um, which is great. We also have a review system where you can only leave a review of an Airbnb listing if you've actually stayed in the place. Um, and so when you are a potential guest and you're looking at a listing and you're reading the reviews, you're reading reviews from people who have stayed in that particular listing. And you're also reading reviews of that exact spot. So if you're looking at a review of a you know, large hotel, you're not necessarily reading a review about the particular room that you will be staying in. On Airbnb, sure, that, right. um, that is, is different. Um, so we have hosts who are motivated. They want to give people great experiences. Um, they have a lot of reasons <clears throat> why they want to, you know, have provide clean, safe experiences. But we have done a lot more. Um, we've instituted a new cleaning protocol um, that has been informed by work with a variety of folks, including former Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murphy, um, who has advised us uh, and our hosts on how they can clean and prepare listings for guests. And what we're doing is if you as a host attest that you will follow that cleaning protocol, uh, you read it, you take a quiz to ensure that you know what it's all about, um, we will then note that on your listing. So when you as a guest, if you're looking for a place, you can uh, filter by listings um, that um, have said that they will follow that cleaning protocol. You can also read reviews um, to make sure that previous guests have been satisfied with the place that they're staying. Um, so it's something that, look, we take it incredibly seriously. Um, we're constantly working um, to you know, create new products and services that help us get to that goal to make sure that everyone has a great experience. 
Um, and we have a team of people that's there 24 seven. So if you happen to check in and you are in these sort of incredibly, incredibly small minority of cases where you get there and something doesn't look quite right, um, we have a team of people uh, that will be there that will uh, do everything that we can to help make things right. I love, by the way, that uh, that CR and I are, are nodding at time while you're talking, knowing that this is a podcast. And so like theater of the mind, uh, yeah. as you're talking, we're doing like a lot of nodding, being like, that's really interesting. What? I just want, I want, I want folks listening to us to know that there's a lot of a sense. On we this are professionals. People. Well, <laughs> so, all right, I'm going to go from one huge topic to another huge topic, right? Obviously, um, racial injustice has become you know, a massive topic in the country. It's a topic around the globe. It's something that, 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 that every facet of the United States is trying to figure itself out. Um, your, um, CEO is a relatively, you know, uh, he does not hold his opinions back very often. Um, (laughs) so what has a couple, couple of questions, kind of what has he said? What have you, how have you dealt with the, 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 the big movement here in the Black Lives Matter space um, recently. And then I know you did some work with Color of Change. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think to understand this, you have to go back a little bit um, to understand some of the challenges that that we faced as a platform and a community. Uh, So in 2016, there was a hashtag that got going on Twitter, and it was hashtag Airbnb while black. Um, And it was people who were black users who were telling incredibly painful, incredibly disturbing stories about trying to book an Airbnb listing and being denied because of their race. Um, This was a significant problem. It was a wake-up call for us. Um, In response, we brought on um, Laura Murphy, who is the former director of the ACLU here in Washington, um, as well as Eric Holder, as well as a number of others from the civil rights community. Um, And we conducted a complete and thorough audit of every facet of our platform um, with an eye towards fighting discrimination. We did a range of things. Um, we increased the number of instantly bookable listings, which are listings where you can um, where you can automatically book it without going back and forth with host. Um, we created an anti-discrimination product team, which is a team of engineers and technical people um, whose entire job is to focus on what they can do uh, and what we can do um, to fight discrimination. Um, and fight bias and promote belonging. I mean, look, our, the mission of our company, our state mission is to create a world where anyone can belong anywhere. So if we're not fighting discrimination um, and we're not fighting bias, we're not living up to our mission. Um, so we've worked very hard um, to try and, and tackle some of these issues. We've also changed the way the profile photos are, are displayed. Um, so you don't see a profile photo until a booking is accepted, um, which reduces um, sort of opportunities for discrimination. That's all. In, so that's I, all important I'm going to ask a terribly stupid no, question. Was no, like, go for it. It's like somebody would be like, I'm not renting to a black person. And there's a picture of a black person. So I'm not renting to them. Is that, was it that yes. simple? It, it was, I mean, look, there were, there were I mean, individual. That's cases. awful and complicated and all those other things. I just was wondering on the technical. Yes, side. That is, I mean, I think that that is uh, in some, in some ways an oversimplification. I think that all of these cases um, had, um, you know, had different dynamics, but at the core, um, there were definitely examples of racism and discrimination um, that were taking place, and that was fundamentally unacceptable to us. I mean, the other thing that we did, we created a community commitment, and the community commitment um, says that to join Airbnb, you have to treat everyone um, with respect and without judgment or bias, Um, and there are over a million people who um, chose not to sign on to that commitment, and those people are not allowed to use Airbnb. Um, can we, 
can we drill down just a little bit into the into the um, some of the communications around sure. it? Because you have this you have this very organic uh, circumstance that, that pops up that it's, it's that's troublesome, right? That is like a corporate communications, you know, brush I think fire. Troublesome is putting it mildly, uh, but yes, that's <laughs> sure. I, I'm I'm you know it is is yeah. horrific, right? And then you execute on a range of initiatives uh, to 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 push back or to 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 solve for that problem, to solve for that really challenging uh, and very upsetting dynamic. Mm-hmm. How do you develop a communication strategy around making sure people know about that? Right, that like it's not just about the initiatives; it's about pushing back and conditioning the environment so that like that organic brush fire, um, you know, has some response to it. Well. I would say a couple of things. The first is that we do not, we have never labored under the notion that we have solved anything um, or that we've like, uh, you know, rid the world or rid Airbnb of racism and discrimination. Um, We are proud of the work that we have done. Um, It is good work and we think that it is worth it has made it a difference, but we are nowhere near done. Um, There is a tremendous amount of work that still needs to happen. Um, and we are pushing to do more work and to do it faster every day, um, because this is a, because this is a big issue. Um, so I think to get to your question of, you know, how do you communicate that to people in an authentic way? You have to show people that you're doing the work. Um, I think this is a, an issue, um, that I think we're seeing now more and more, um, which is that you, uh, Brands and companies and politicians and public figures generally um, are not going should should not be satisfied with merely making statements about this. They have to go out and demonstrate to people that they are using their time, their resources, their skills, um, and their money to go you know attack these problems. And in our case, it's to try and implement solutions um, that will try and fight discrimination and fight bias. Um, and the and I think it's very important, and we've tried to do this to say that all of these steps are just you know, part of an ongoing effort. Um, we are n- nowhere near satisfied um, with the work that we have done. We know we have more to do, um, and we are trying to work very closely um, with partners in the civil rights community, with partners in the Airbnb community, uh, and with other experts to inform that work. To that end, I think that it is important um, to explain to people how you how your decisions and your actions um, have been informed and sort of how you how you arrived there. Um, so we are incredibly fortunate that we have had um, the guidance um, and the insight from a range of different civil rights organizations and privacy organizations. Um, you mentioned Color of Change, uh, the Leadership Conference uh, on Civil and Human Rights. Um, so, you know, many others, um, have been incredibly helpful and incredibly generous with their time and their energy, um, and their insight as we've worked on this. And we, um, have tried to share with people, uh, the process that we've used to come up with, uh, some of the interventions that we uh, have made, because we think it's important, um, that everyone understands that we are reaching out, um, to the experts, uh, on these matters to inform what we do. I mean, I think it is very clear that no one company, no one organization, certainly not a, uh, you know, home sharing company that is headquartered in San Francisco is going to have all the answers on this. I think it's really important that people, um, reach out to experts and have these kinds of conversations. Um, 
with folks so they so they can be informed by by folks with different perspectives. Um, can I jump in and ask about again about your? You've mentioned your values, your your company values a bunch sure. of times, and I think like um, you guys uh, as a as an operator in this space of kind of communicating, I love that you all continue to to either both modify your values, but also relate everything back to it. Like we want to do this because we said we were for, you know, valuing everyone at the beginning. And that also has to come from the CEO. Like it just has to, like if the CEO doesn't buy into the narrative and to the values of the company, um, you can say it, but it's hard to believe it. So can you talk about that a little bit? Because I know he does a, he does a really good job of speaking this out. And and therefore the, it, it feels to me that the, the, companies, employees, and their hosts believe in some of these values and are therefore trying to work hard to fix them. Yeah, I think that is absolutely true. I mean, look, every organization that I've ever worked in, the, you know, the, the individual or individuals at the top set the tone. Um, there's just, there's no doubt about that. And I think that is absolutely true, both with our CEO um, and our co-founders and our executive leadership. Um, you know, we, we all believe in the mission of the company. Um, we all believe in the value in the values. Um, and look, you're dealing with a, if you sort of get down a little lower on sort of the, to the, into the employee base, I am incredibly fortunate to work with a number of incredibly smart, talented people, um, who could, you know, take on any number of different tasks and work at different companies. Um, and one of the reasons why they are at Airbnb is because they want to be at a place where people um, are making principle-based decisions, they want to be at a place that you know articulates its values and its mission, um, and tries to live by that. I mean, look, are we perfect? No, absolutely not. Um, but I do think that there is a real. Um, I do think that there is a real commitment to those values, um, and that clearly comes from our leadership. Um, the number of times I have been <laughs> in meetings where we've been trying to discuss you know, how to solve X, Y, Z problem or whatever it may be. Um, and Brian, uh, Chesky, our CEO or someone else says, wait, let's, uh, what are our principles here? Um, there, let's just say there's two, two numerous to count. Um, but it's incredibly helpful when you're in the midst of those kinds of discussions where, whether you're trying to figure out how to, you know, what decisions to make or whether you're trying to figure out how to write the press release, um, going back to, th- to what the principles are that you, uh, that you relied on to make a decision or uh, to drive your business, uh, I think is an incredibly helpful way to to organize your thoughts and also to organize your operations. So uh, I'll give you one more kind of work question and then we'll move to some fun stuff. Um, you've been at Airbnb for a long time, as we mentioned earlier. Um, what do you see in the next five years or so that are the biggest challenges for the company? Um, what are the biggest, you know, what do you see th- some other things coming down the road? I mean, obviously nobody could have predicted pandemic. Um, that's, kind of off the scale, but you guys probably predicted, man, as we move into bigger markets and different markets around the globe, there's going to be some issues. Um, what do you see going forward as kind of issues or opportunities or however you want to frame it, you know, in the next couple of years for Airbnb? And for the travel industry as well, you know? It's a great question. Um, look, I think travel is going to change in a really serious way. Um, I think you're going to continue to see people who want to do more travel. Um, and their habits are going to change. I think we talked a little bit about how you're going to see more domestic travel. You're going to see more nearby travel. Um, I think business travel is going to be slow to make a comeback. 
um, because we have seen um, how much business we can all get done from our homes. Um, you know, we're talking on Zoom right now, and I think that that is something that is going to you know going to continue. Um, so I think that is is going to take some time to come back. I do think that ultimately um, people are going to get back to traveling. Um, and I think, you know, this is an industry that has proven to be incredibly resilient. Um, if you look at sort of, I don't know if there are similar moments in time, but if you look at, you know, other sort of economic disruptions or social disruptions or political disruptions that have happened, travel has taken a hit, but travel has come back because we do have this fundamental need to explore. Um, that's not going to go away. Uh, I think people definitely want to travel. They want to get out and explore new places uh, and just get out of their house. What does the what does that look like for Airbnb going forward? I think there, you know, as we said, I think there's a lot of uncertainty about what the next six months, year, eighteen month look. One thing that I think that is absolutely true um, is that we have um, always been powered by our core hosts, people, you know, regular people who offer their home uh, to travelers. Um, I think that is going to continue to be something that uh, makes us stand out, makes us different. Um, from you know others in this space, um, so I think we're going to continue to you know double down on supporting them, um, and then I think that there remains a lot of uncertainty. I will not, as I said earlier, I think anyone who tells you exactly what things are going to look like um, is probably lying to you. Uh, so I will not. So I will not do that. Um, I do think that one of the things about Airbnb that is important to remember is this is a company that got started in 2008 um, and was run out of an apartment for I think first two years maybe the first three i can't remember exactly when they got when they got like a proper office um, wasn't it, it's a wasn't it organized around the convention uh, some, wasn't it like wasn't that did it get kicked off well, around the convention or something so it got uh, <laughs> our founders will tell you that they did like four separate launch events or <laughs> three launch events because the first couple ones no one cared um they got the idea because there was a design conference coming to San Francisco and all the hotels were sold out and they couldn't pay their rent. Right. So they blew up some airbeds, created a website and people came in, but the conventions were a big deal um, because this was in 2008 and listeners um, who I assume are all political nerds like us will remember that uh, um, then Senator Obama moved his acceptance speech um, from an indoor arena to, I believe was then called Invesco Field. Um, and so that was 60,000 more people who were going to be able to watch the speech in person. And those 60,000 people needed a place to stay. Um, so Airbnb became um, you know, a really important uh, uh, source of housing, I think, for a lot of people. One of the challenges that they realized was that political conventions only happen every four years. Right. So that wasn't a terribly sustainable business model. Um, but they did manage uh, through a lot of hard work to, to get something growing. Um, but, but look, this is a young, company um, and we've proven to be uh, nimble and that we can adjust with the times. Uh, I think a really good example of this is we started something called online experiences where we have an experiences product that is not as well known as our homes product but if you have you know a um, if you have a skill or a talent and you want to do a tour or activity with people, um, we have a platform where you can create an experience uh, for folks and then um, guests can sign up to take that and you can earn a little bit of extra money. Um, Obviously, with the pandemic, in-person experiences uh, were not going to happen. Uh, and so we created online experiences where you can do all kinds of really cool things, where you can connect with people uh, from, you know, from the comfort and safety of your home. Um, that's something that's going to, I think, continue to be a part of Airbnb um, in the you know, months and years to come. Um, and I think that 
uh, it's evidence of the fact that this company uh, can work quickly, can be nimble, um, and can adjust to, to meet the needs um, and desires of, of travelers as we go forward. All right, so let's go to the fun stuff. This is where Adam asks you a couple questions that have literally nothing to do with anything we've been talking about. So <laughs> fire away, Adam. So uh, if you could be paid for a year to do anything, and you're welcome to say that you do exactly what you're doing, uh, but if you could be paid for a year to do anything, what would you choose to do? Oh, my God, that's a great question. Um, I don't know. I've never thought about that. Do I have to have a particular talent in this in this field? Yeah. Or I could just like no, do no. It, but... Look, like like I would. Uh, shockingly, I am probably not going to play center field for the New York Yankees. But like, <laughs> you know, dream big. Well, so it's interesting. I uh, yeah, like playing for the San Francisco Giants was always up there, but talent was a real obstacle <laughs> to that. <laughs> um, I think I would probably try my my hand. Um, at some sort of, of writing probably um, because I think that's always been something that is interesting, but I think it takes a lot of time to do. So you're writing um, the great American and, novel. Um, isn't necessarily fiction, nonfiction. I, I don't know if I would write the great American novel. I would probably do more sort of nonfiction things. And, and I think having the opportunity to write and read and study um, with sort of no expectation of being productive would be kind of amazing. Uh, that's cool. So I think that's that's something that I would do, but I don't know that that's ever going to happen. All right. So if you had a time machine, what is your best 30 seconds of advice to your early 20s self? Uh, slow down. Like spend more time uh, listening to people who are around you um, because it will make you more efficient and like spend more time both listening to people who are around you um, and also spend more time thinking about things at the front end because it'll make whatever it is that you're doing, both personally or professionally, um, be better. Uh, and I think that that is something that a lot of type A people uh, like myself and people who you find in, in politics and, and in these sorts of related fields um, will often just sort of like you give them a project and they just go for it and they go really quickly right out of the gate. And I think sometimes taking a beat and thinking about what it is that you want to accomplish and how you want to do it and listening to people uh, around you and, and getting their ideas um, is something that's really, really important. I think it's a lesson that I've learned over time. So uh, that's, I couldn't agree more. Um, the last question is, is just a personal favorite of mine. It's really just adding to my Rolodex or mental kind of uh, index. Um, we're all fantasizing about life after COVID-19 and whatever the new normal looks like, but kind of getting back into uh, doing things. Yes. Um, so what is your favorite restaurant? Where is it? And what do I order? Oh, God. Um, what is my See, this is like, it's like you're asking me to choose my favorite kid. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm very <laughs> easy with that. Like, I will say that I feel similarly, but I have a clearly defined choice, as I'm pretty confident that my parents have a clearly defined favorite. <laughs> <laughs> my sister thinks it's her, and I just fundamentally disagree. That's, you know, look, totally uh, fair. Um, when I, so part of, I live in Washington, um, and I, um, and, but I'm often in San Francisco um, for work, and I cannot leave the city 
um, without picking up a burrito. If you want something that is a tut that is more upscale um, and you're looking to uh, to splurge, this is not something that uh, I get to do often. Um, but the folks at Tail Up Goat um, in the Adams Morgan neighborhood of Washington is uh, consistently one of the uh, a consistently great restaurant, um, and they have. Um, all different types of bread that do like these interesting sourdoughs and things that are just absolutely delicious. So give that a shot. I have to say, I appreciate your choices. I love that you didn't actually follow the rules of the questions, no, but I, I appreciate both choices and the options you're providing. Look, I, look, there are no rules here. There are, there are no rules in strategy. Answer the question lab, that you want to answer. Come on, people. It's like 101. Don't, oh, you didn't accept what you Never. didn't accept the premise. He's a communications guy, man. So Nick, let me just say this. Look, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're, you know, we're, we're taping this right before the 4th of July. I really appreciate your time and cutting uh, a a few minutes of your, of your time for us to do this. It means a lot. Uh, There's a lot to be learned from you and, and obviously, you know, keep up the good work and and thanks for swinging by. I I am happy to do it. Anything for, uh, for the person who's married to my first (laughs) (laughs) This always comes back around to people just do stuff for me because they like Stacy. That's how it goes. <laughs> I, oh, I I mean I will tell you that I but I think maybe two months into my internship at the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, she walked in with a big rock on her finger and a big smile. Um because you it's been all downhill since there, done, baby. So. It's been all downhill since there. Thanks again, Nick. We appreciate it, pal. <laughs> Happy to do it. Thanks for having me. Well, Adam, it was good to catch up with Nick. Um, I'm actually, frankly, really surprised and happy he was able to carve out a couple minutes. What a crazy time to be at Airbnb. It's pretty wild. And also, if you think about it, you know, he's been in a company for seven years and the company was only founded in 2008. You know, I mean, it's like the vast majority of the time of the company. Um, I'm just amazed by the longevity of anybody who's yeah, so that uh, anybody, anybody who came out of the political space, I mean, it feels like it's a 50 year career at one company. Uh, I did want to make one quick, one quick point before we did that. I thought it was really interesting from his conversation was, uh, he talked a lot about values and principles. And I think that was interesting both for decision-making, but also for communications, um, and how they, they feed one another. So I thought that was a, an interesting point. Yeah. I think there's a lot of companies that give, that kind of blow smoke up the values chain, but I do strongly believe and I know that you you and I talk about this a lot because we share this with our clients is you have to have some operating principle like why is it that you're doing what you're doing and then therefore when a bump in the road comes or a tragedy or a catastrophe or whatever you can refer back to well what are we doing this for in the first place it's a good point and I think he made that a few times I think they're a company that certainly tries really hard to do that I don't know whether I'm sure that there's people on both sides that say, you know, how, how efficient and effective that is. But I certainly do think they try more than most to connect things to some set of values that they actually care about. For sure. I thought it was a really interesting point. Um, okay. So uh, where can we find you on Twitter? You can find me at, at Weiss Thinking. And I'm at CR Wooters. So for Strategy Lab, this is CR Wooters and Adam Weiss. We'll catch you next time.